This is a piece by a guy named Larry Taunton. Larry who? Never heard of her. What sort of a man is he? Pick from Bama. A man like any other, but more so. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle. Welcome to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I hope you are well. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. How about yourself, Amy Beth? I'm very well because it's a good day, so I'm, I'm good. You know? What's made it a good day for you? Uh, because it's the weekend. Okay, well, that, <laughs> that's why. that is always a good reason for it to be a good day. We made it, and it's a volleyball tournament weekend, so I'm excited because good. I like volleyball. I like indoor good. sports. Good. I didn't know you participated. I do not, but one of my children okay, does. Okay, all right. I was and trying to picture you out there. Yeah, you know, no, no. I was a and... cheerleader. I know this will surprise you. I was a cheerleader. Okay. And um, <laughs> when offered the opportunity to make the basketball team, I was like, no, that's a hard pass for me. It was a mistake. Uh, so that my children are sporty spice, and I appreciate that. So I'm okay. excited. It's fun. It's a fun weekend. Good people. Well, I hope they do well. I do too. I do too. Good. You know, how about you? How are you guys? Yeah, doing very, doing very well. We're enjoying a kind of a sweet time in our lives right now, and you never know how long that will last. But um, but everything is is good. I'm glad to be home and sort of settled mm-hmm. for a little while. I don't have any big trips um, scheduled or planned for a little while. And this, Amy Beth, is the last Saturday without college football, and that excites me. All God's children said amen. Yes. I am. Um, you know, I used to think of myself as a sports fan. And I'm really just a football fan. I mean, I love the Tour de France. I get into that during the summer. Uh, I do enjoy that. I've been to the Tour de France, you know, many times. Um, I like NFL, but I don't. I'm not passionate about the NFL. March Madness. I'll I, the basketball. I'll pay attention during basketball season, and now especially that your Thank son, you. thank you, your son plays for um, uh, the University of North Carolina. Um, I will definitely um, pay closer attention, but typically basketball, I don't pay that close attention until March Madness, and even then, I just kind of. I probably don't watch until you get down to the Sweet 16 or something like that. Baseball, yawn. Yes, you know, absolutely. I like going to a game. Yeah. And I like knowing it's there. Yes. You know, it would upset me if I heard it was being banned because right. it's Americana. But let's face it, America's sport is football. It and is. Uh, I'm looking forward to college football returning in about mm, eight days. Chris is the same way. He is passionate about college football, specifically Alabama football. Uh, the, Chris should have been like a wide receiver. He should have. His mother wouldn't let him play football. Yeah, you know, you know, Chris would be like throwing a tennis ball at a a Velcro just, wall. You yes. know, it would just be like, you know, how could you miss? Right. You know, he's just such a big target. So, um, you know, that opportunity. I think that ship has sailed for Chris. Possibly. Yeah. It's probably probably sailed it's for gone. Chris, but. But if he has any years of eligibility, he could maybe look at the JUCO level. I think he could. And you know what? When he retires, <laughs> it, this is what we're going to do, everyone. We're going to play football for the JUCO at 53. Um, but no, football was on when I got home last night, and it's a happy time. What happened in that game, by the way? I saw on Twitter today that the, the Seahawks happened. were getting destroyed. Yeah, by it the was, Chicago Bears. Yes, it was embarrassing. Who were and terrible. I, they were terrible, although they had great camo hats with a cool you know, Chicago Bear logo. That's all I paid attention to because <laughs> it's not college football, although I love the Steelers, and not just because I'm from Pennsylvania. 
I love the Steelers. It's our family team. But it was a just, I mean, it was embarrassing. It was really embarrassing. And I forget the coach's name, but he looked miserable at halftime. It was kind of like head down, ran to the locker room. Pete and Carroll. I thought, that guy, he was at Arizona, right? No. But anyway, go ahead. I made that up. I'm sorry. He was at USC. Thank you. He was out there in the yeah. West where it's cold, dry, and dusty. Not, well, actually, not cold, USC, dry, Los and Angeles, dusty. Pasadena, gorgeous. Oh, it is gorgeous. But anyway, go ahead. Whatever. You're like 0 for 2 or 3, Whatever. but keep I'm going. I'm totally 0, <laughs> 0, 0. It was happy because football was on, and I thought, thank God it's about to be football season. Yeah. This yeah, is what I thought. Yeah, it's great. And uh, seeing Pete Carroll get destroyed, you know, doesn't displease me. So, Do you not not a fan? I'm not a big fan of Pete Carroll. I, I don't really dislike Pete Carroll. I'm sure he's a good guy. Um, but as a coach, anyway, I've just never been a huge fan of his style, which seems kind of willy-nilly and players kind of do whatever they want to do. And, you know, I'm from that Bear Bryant, Nick Saban, discipline. You speak only when spoken to and you're, you're robotic. You know, yes. you, you, everything is about the team and uh, that's not the Seahawk way. It wasn't, well, it wasn't, uh, although it fits for Seattle. It does about to say the you same know, it thing. Is Seattle, like it's complete so. mayhem in Seattle. Yeah. So yeah, that does kind of, yeah, that did kind of go with it, but I, I yes, I prefer Roll Tide, and that's all. I'd be curious what they looked like too. By the way, um, having uh, didn't they trade Russell Wilson? You know, this is obviously above my pay grade. <laughs> did they? I don't know. I can't He's remember. married to Sierra. To the, that's all I know. Let's go to the booth here for a review. <laughs> did they? Did they? Did they trade Russell Wilson? I was thinking that they did. Possibly? That uh, Russell Wilson, uh, they that they got rid of him, but maybe they didn't. Maybe that was all just a uh, a play for more money on Russell Wilson's part. I haven't really paid as close attention to the uh, to the off season as I should have. In any way, all of that said, any have you watched any good movies as of late? You know what we did? We spent last weekend watching John Wayne movies. Oh well, that's a that's a weekend well spent. I mean, it, it really was. Yeah. Um. So that was very enjoyable. Just a good stretch of the legs, Mary Kate. <laughs> that's from the very quiet true. man. So I should have brought a picture, but in our basement, in the manned Raj portion of the garage, um, Chris has a John Wayne poster and and why, um, not? and why not and some kind of John Wayne saying that's in the um fluorescent lights I don't know but he's a huge John Wayne fan okay another reason why I like Chris yeah he's pretty awesome so I you know he's roped me in and I'm into John Wayne and um you know so that's what we did and I he's on call this weekend so we probably will take your movie consideration and watch it <clears throat> Um, what was the one that you just mentioned to me? Captain Corelli's Captain Mandolin. Captain Corelli's Mandolin. With uh, Nicolas Cage and um, Penelope, Penelope Cruz. It's based, on a, it's based on a novel, and I don't care for the novel, um, but the scenery is gorgeous, um, you know, set on a Greek isle, and uh, uh, it's... it's just so beautiful. And it's set during World War II, and uh, Corelli... Is a uh, you know played by Nicolas Cage is a guy who's a he's a musician who's been drafted and he cares nothing for the war he loves music and he falls in love with a you know he's an he's part of an occupying force and he falls in love with um, Penelope Cruz and you know you know he is ostensibly the enemy 
And um, anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a very good movie. John Hurt is in it, who I think is a great actor. And he uh, was uh, the late John Hurt. And he's also uh, the narrator. Ooh. And uh, anyway, but I think it's a I think it's a terrific film. It was panned because a lot of reviewers said that there wasn't very good chemistry between Nicolas Cage and uh, Penelope Cruz. I disagree. Christian Bale um, oh, is yeah. also okay. in it, a younger um, Christian Bale. But it's a it's a it's an excellent film. But as of late, Lori and I have made quite a commitment um, to <laughs> a uh, a series. I have been reading Herman Wokes. Um, books herman woke the uh you know who died by the way at like age 104 um in i I don't remember the year i want to say like 2018 or something Mm -hmm. like that but the guy he was most famous because he won the pulitzer prize for writing the cane mutiny which was made into show you how old the guy was it was made into a movie in the 1950s starring humphrey bogart and uh but in the 80s uh two of his novels uh, the Winds of War and War and Remembrance were made into um, two miniseries. And uh, and those mm. miniseries um, were, I want to say, like the first one was like 15 hours long and the second one is like 18 hours long. And they're the most expensive miniseries, at least up to that time, ever made. Like um, I want to say that together they they cost like $80 million to make and uh, Robert Mitchum, who I love, oh, yes. is uh, is is in it along with a cast of other interesting characters. But it's uh, but it's very good. But it's not available on uh, on you know Netflix or Amazon or any place like that. So I actually ordered the DVDs. Did you? Yeah, that's a throwback. Yeah. So okay. uh, I hadn't watched DVDs in quite a while, but I'm glad I have. But let's let's move towards more serious topic. Let's talk about the automatic braking system, Amy Beth Shaver moment of the week. You actually have a very good one um, today. What is what is on your mind? So I'm not sure if anybody else has heard, maybe you have, but the University of Alabama made the national news because of what was happening during sorority rush. And a young man who would like to identify as a woman, wore pink Lululemon skirts, attempted to join a sorority at Alabama. Yes. And I actually wrote about it. I write for 1819 News, which is a news um, organization in Alabama. And because I had some moms reach out to me, their daughters were at Alabama, and they said, are you aware of what is happening it looks like MSNBC is here. It looks like HBO Max. Uh, girls are wired up going through Rush. They're commenting on it. This young man, he, he is not a woman, uh, but he thinks he's a woman, is attempting to join, and we're very bothered by this. And at that point, it hadn't really broken yet. But it was kind of an outrageous story because you think, gosh, the the nerve of this kid, but also that HBO, that MSNBC, and these other girls were wired for sound to catch girls going through Rush to see what they might say against this person. And then the national media could then use Alabama once again as a whipping post for, look at those dumb, foolish Southerners. They're not going to accept this trans person. It's George Wallace standing in the door against trans people. Yes. Um, You know, uh, it's interesting. If you're not from the South... 
uh, you won't know anything about the the Greek system in Alabama, which is a world <laughs> unto everything. itself. And uh, the sororities, I'm not exaggerating when I say that they are full of beautiful women. Yes. Actual women. Right. Like real women. Like real women. That hurt women. your eyeballs. They're so pretty. And... Um, do you really, I, I, and I haven't followed this story particularly closely, um, but I did see it. I saw it on social media that, that this guy dressed as a woman, you know, is trying to join. Do you think this is, you, know, you said just a second ago that he thinks he's a woman. Do you, do you really think that he thinks that, or is this just some scam of a guy trying to get in with a bunch of pretty women? You know, a guy in his right mind would try to get in, <laughs> right? I mean, because in days of old... What was that old, old show back in the hey, 80s with Tom Hanks? Yes. Bosom Buddies. Yes, Bosom Buddies. So I that heard... That show wouldn't work today. You guys, I heard in Michigan that a guy really is trying to rush, but that's because he wanted to be with all the hot babes. Yeah, Tootsie. Okay? <laughs> so this really is going on, and he's admitting, I just want to be... I'm just here for the girls. Did you say at Michigan? At Michigan. Okay, well... I mean, I mean he, are there hot women at Bush, Michigan? I, you know what? I reserve <laughs> it's a big judgment. School. <laughs> but what I know is that this guy went to high school prom as a boy, but with makeup. Now we talk um, about the guy in Michigan. This or guy, one the went guy to? at Alabama, went to his high school prom, did some digging, had women, had moms who were very concerned, sending me like, "Here's the latest info. Here, TikToks. Here's this and that." So they were doing digging, okay. and he went as a man but with full makeup. And then you have other pictures of him in female swimsuits, uh, but he's still apparently a man. He will always be a man. Um, so I don't know. So I Mr. Think Johnson is still Mr. there. Mr. Johnson is there. Okay. I th things you never thought you'd say out of your mouth in public. Mr. Johnson is the elephant in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Roll <laughs> you know, tight. The, the metaphor tight. with Alabama. You know, so, <laughs> so there's that. Um, so I don't know because it feels like a setup. It feels like he came in from a junior college. He transferred in. But there's one little thing that women are very serious about in sororities. And I just watch, witnessed my niece going through Rush. They're, they're very serious about they're their very members not having Penises. About their no male parts, no man parts, <laughs> but they're very serious and they enforce the laws on their books, unlike we do at our border. So you must have good grades, you must have good recommendations, you must have good um, recommendations and other extracurricular activities from high school. So they're very serious about that. If you don't meet that criteria, imagine females following through on what they say matters to them. Yeah. And they're like, I'm sorry, <laughs> Mr. Johnson in the pink skirt. Uh, you don't meet it. And so he was not able to join a sorority. You know, I can't help but Jokes smirk. Jokes on HBO Max. Yeah, I can't help but smirk through this entire segment. <laughs> it's so, ridiculous. So forgive me, but <laughs> the reason I ask uh, in all seriousness as to whether or not he really thinks he's a woman or is he just pretending to? Because you yeah. may have seen, I don't know, it's been in the last few months, a story of a quote-unquote trans man who was a criminal and he was put into a yes. female prison and he got several of the women pregnant. That's not right. And so you're going, okay, this guy's pretending to be a woman when he's really a heterosexual That's right. being put into a, 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 a female population. Uh, in order to take advantage of that. And so I wondered, is that what's going on here? But you're saying that 
this guy it's gone there's a there's a fairly deep history with this yes. guy doing this yes there's fairly a deep history but you're exactly right and that's something that when i did a couple of weeks ago worked on this piece was you do see the same thing happen a lot in county virginia where these boys are saying i'm a girl and then they go in and they sexually assault women yeah, yeah. which is hideous there aren't enough words to express how horrible that is that outrage and punishing that young girl's father for, I guess, you know, trying to hold the Loudoun County School uh, accountable. So you do have to worry about that because it's real. Well, and let's just be, let's just, let's just be clear that transgenderism is bullshit. I it, mean, this complete. is, this is a fake category for a non-existent gender. That's right. Um, that's what it is. It's not real. It's not a real thing. It's just I'm going to call myself this, and and you have to acknowledge me that's right. as that. I'm going to force you to acknowledge me uh, as that. But it's 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 a completely made up thing. Yes. Uh, well, I think that's a that's a pretty good uh, ABS uh, moment. I would certainly pump the brakes on that. Um, it's I'm proud to be a graduate of the University of Alabama in this moment right now. I, you know, I've always hated the Greek system. You know that. Yes. You, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of the Greek system. In this moment, I'm a fan of the Greek system because I heard that all 20, I think it's 20 yes. um, sororities, had no idea that there were that many, that they all said no, yes. that he went from one to the next to the next, and they all said no. And I think the way the media is trying to portray this is like George Wallace standing yes. in the schoolhouse door against integration, and that this this guy is is trying to present himself as a new civil rights movement, and it's offensive. It is a uh, it is hijacking an authentic civil rights movement, and. Um, I hope the answer is uh, is forever no, but um, the way these things tend to go is that uh, you know eventually they'll they'll mm -hmm. start to fall like dominoes and uh, and begin to accept guys like this. But I, uh, in this moment at least, I'm glad that's not the case. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. And you know what? With that, we will take a break and we'll be back to talk about a a very deep topic um, on suffering. So we'll be right back. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Larry is my favorite player. So welcome back. So today's topic is suffering. And really the larger question, Larry, is why does God allow suffering? Well, first we have to talk about <laughs> we have to talk about the fact that God has allowed the Seattle Seahawks fans to suffer the transfer, excuse me, the trade of Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. So we did look during the break yes. to answer that question. And if I were a Seahawks fan, I would be deeply traumatized uh, by this because Russell Wilson is a great player. Now he is with the uh, the Denver Broncos. So we, anyway, we did settle that debate. Um, you, would You've just asked me the question, why does God allow suffering? It, do I get like 50 words or less and I have to draw pictures? Yes, you know, yes. How do we answer do. that yeah. question? You know, I got a pen right here for there you. There we go. Um, you know, I think this the, you 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 and I have discussed this topic off air, you know, before. And um and I gave a Latimer House lunch and talk on this subject um just uh recently. And I've talked on it before and uh it is a subject that 
I guess I keep returning to uh, because it's on my mind a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I think about it a lot because I am a, um, a chronic sufferer of um, a physical pain. And, um, you know, and I feel like the Lord teaches me a lot of things through it. I'm, I'm constantly mining something that I didn't think about before. And I have a different perspective on the issue. But also, even before I had had a, you know, a serious um, accident, I thought on the issue more in an academic way, I guess, because speaking to a lot of students, engaging a lot of atheists, this is what they think is their mic drop moment. You know, like, oh, I got you here. So you say your God is good, and yet they're suffering in the world. Aha! You know, he can't be both. This is, uh, this is the absurdity of um, the kind of arguments that are employed um, on this uh, issue. You know, right after, it was, it's interesting, in uh, October, I think it was October 10 of 2015, I debated atheist Michael Shermer before a packed house in uh, downtown Seattle. And five days later, um, I have a, you know, a very, very serious accident. While I'm in uh, intensive care, the burn trauma unit at, uh, at University of Alabama Birmingham Hospital, uh, Michael Shermer publishes an article titled An Open Letter to Larry Taunton. Now, we'll put this on the screen, and uh, you, can, uh, you can see this, but an open letter to Larry Taunton where he's mocking you know, my belief in God. Now again, what kind of jerk do you have to be? I mean, I'm I'm fighting for my life quite literally, not expected to live, and Shermer is asking, you know, silly questions like, you know, well if if his god was a good god, if his god was sovereign, if his god uh, you know, loved him, then why didn't he just pick up Larry's bicycle and put it on the other side of that car? Why didn't he redirect the car? Why didn't an angel come down and all of that presupposes, Amy Beth, that God's purposes are, are our purposes. That is to say that he's chiefly concerned about our comfort. Now, if you as a, a person out there, and, and we're talking primarily to Christians when we address this issue, if you do not understand the character of God, you cannot understand this issue at all. So I would say that if, if, you're, if you're struggling understanding why God allows suffering, then you need to get to know who God is. Uh, you need to understand that, I love the way Alexander Solzhenitsyn put it, the, uh, the, the Russian dissident writer, Nobel Prize winner, <clears throat> um, Solzhenitsyn said, the meaning of earthly existence lies, not as we have grown used to thinking, that is in prospering, but in the development of the soul. The development of the soul. And of course, this is a theme that runs throughout scripture. I mean, think about Jesus saying, if if you know, if a member of your body causes you to sin, uh, you know, cut it off, better that it be cast into hell than that your soul, you know, be cast into hell. So that the 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 theme of the soul versus the body, of temporal pain versus the eternal life. If a man gained the whole world but loses his soul, what does it profit him? You know, this theme is 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 one that is, and it's almost has neon lights all the way through Scripture. So I'm, sometimes I'm a little puzzled by people who are puzzled that God allows suffering. So if we understand that His purpose is about the development of the soul, 
that raises some very interesting questions. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, Amy Beth, in my own suffering, <clears throat> at no point when I, either when I was in, you know, ICU or now, was I ever asking that question. I never had a crisis of faith. Now, there were times where I was praying, please take this pain away from me. Please remove this pain from me. But I never questioned God's right to do it. And it's because uh, I accept that if he wants to smash me on the windshield of a car, he he reserves that right. I prefer he didn't. Right. <laughs> but I don't question his goodness and I don't question his character. Mm. And do you think that people are waylaid by this concept in the New Testament that the Lord tells us that if the if Jesus suffered, we are going to suffer? Why do you think that takes people by surprise? Does it get back to this idea that people think he's after our comfort and not about our transformation to become more like him? Yeah, Um <clears throat> Great question. I think that uh, Eastern religion, uh, specifically karma, the concept of karma has entered into the Christian faith. You know, karma, the idea that if I do good things, that good things happen to me. Um, if I'm a nice person, then my life will always be easy. Um, hmm. That's not a biblical concept. And... Um, um, I know that there are some now who would say, well, of course, there are, you know, there are passages that say things like, uh, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and he will make thy path straight, you know, that sort of thing. But again, it presupposes that blessing comes in a form that we think means material wealth and comfort. Mm -hmm. And um, as you point out, Jesus himself was crucified all of the disciples were martyred, save John. Um, we can look at the lives of the prophets and what they suffered, um, the, uh, the apostles. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that it, the reason so many Christians are surprised by, as you say, waylaid by suffering, you know, and wonder why God would allow it is because they've been more culturally influenced than textually, scripturally influenced. I think if they're more intimately um, acquainted with their own, you know, text, they would uh, not struggle with this question quite so much. Mm. And don't you think also, you know, so often before I understood, after we had gone through suffering in our own lives, that we really are often, like you said, like begging God to like just get us out of this. Yeah. It's terrifying to understand that is it Max Lucado who wrote on the anvil that is where we're going to learn who we are but we're also going to most learn who God is in that moment. Um but I found myself before we went through some things asking God just just get me out of this. Yeah. And I and I didn't realize that no 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 in that moment, you will learn about the character of God. He is who he says he is, but you also learn about yourself and how much sanctification you actually need, even though that's not the question you're thinking of. Um, but uh, that, you know, I, I came to understand that God was not about my comfort 
at all. Well, um, in, in some cases, yes, but not. that's not the bottom line for us. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot. And, uh, of course, you can redirect and take us to a commercial break <laughs> if you don't want to answer. But let's talk about, you know, uh, my my accident, at least for those who follow my work, is is pretty well known. At least I think it is. Um, to most of them, what have you suffered, Amy Beth? So early in our marriage, real early, um, we suffered miscarriages. We had three. And so as an adopted person, not knowing if I would ever be able to have children was very terrifying. And, and part of the talk that you give, or that you've probably even written about this, um, it, there's that moment where are you going to become bitter about this suffering or are you going to dig into what the word says and that if he suffered, you're going to suffer, but God is going to hold your hand through it and he will be with you. And so instead of trying to get around the mountain, understand he's going to take you up and over the mountain, holding you and covering you. Um, And you begin to understand what it means to be covered by the shadow of his wings under his shelter, you take refuge. But then, you know, uh, years after that, um, on a day that the sky was blue like this on the table in front of us here, uh, just in a cornflower blue sky, really, um, we got a phone call, and it was that Chris's father had been killed in a plane crash. Mm. Now, the plane that he was piloting um, was over water, and there were power lines that were not marked. Mm. And he flew into them. He's an experienced pilot, um, but he died immediately. Wow. And then the year after that, Chris had to have emergency surgery. And it was to the point because we didn't know what was going on, um, that we had to say our goodbyes to each other. And I left him in the, um, you know, in the ER and in the OR and just had to be okay walking away, Yeah. you know? So <clears throat> it, it changes who you are. It transformed our family. It transformed our vision of God. It transformed our vision of ourself. And it makes you realize, as you have said many times before, you understand that God really does love you. And He really is our Father. Um, But I'm also then thankful for our suffering, though we miss the children we never had. And I miss my father-in-law, who is a very good man. Well, um, to take a little pressure off of you in, in, in the moment, and I appreciate you sharing that, um, you've just indicated that, you know, being a Christian didn't mean the end of any suffering. It right. didn't mean that you were removed from the, the consequences of um, the uh, natural laws and uh, pain and disease and all the things that we encounter in this life. So kind of an interesting uh, you know, aspect of this is suffering is part of the human condition. It's mm-hmm. it's not unique to Christians. It's not right. unique to Buddhists. It's not unique to Colombians. It's it's not unique to Americans or to women or to to black people or white people. It is part of the human condition. Everyone is going to suffer to a greater or lesser degree. And and um, there are many people who lead charmed lives uh, in that they go through this life and, and the suffering that they encounter is of, shall I say, a, uh, a more um, uh, what's to be expected. In other words, the loss of a parent, um, the loss of your, your favorite dog and 
uh, these kinds of things as opposed to the 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 real real deep travail and trauma of pain and suffering that some have to endure. But I have to tell you, you know, the last show that we did uh, that we recorded is on was on travel, and um, you know, there are things, Amy Beth, that I have seen in mm-hmm. traveling to roughly sixty countries that. I have not been able to speak of, um, in part because I'm not really allowed to speak of uh, as yet. Hopefully, the time will come when I can. But also because they defy explanation. You know, seeing mutilated bodies, um, people who have been murdered, um, yeah. going through war zones, um, seeing houses being burned to the ground, um, encountering people who. Um, don't have our level of medical care and there's no hope for them. Mm. Uh, parents who have had their children taken off into sex slavery, mm. never to be seen again. Um, uh, people who are starving. Um, I have seen so much of it. And, uh, you know, it's important that we have perspective of our pain mm-hmm. and suffering. And this this will sound funny. I was telling someone this last night, but... One of the ways that you, you you may you may mock me in this and think this sounds you know insane, but the, one of the ways that I have dealt with my own suffering, whether it's emotional suffering or it's it's some um, physical suffering, and I have to say that I I qualify as you know as a a, a major sufferer in both of those categories um, because of a lot of pain in my own life is that I have often told myself it could be worse. Mm. So as I'm laying in ICU and my jaw is wired shut and I am in excruciating pain and I have, you know, more than 40, I have 41 broken bones and more than 50 fractures, you know, 19 broken vertebrae, I would say to myself, well, you know, my right hand isn't broken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My yeah. right foot isn't broken. Yeah. And um, I'm conscious. I'm not paralyzed. I have a wife who loves me. Um, I have children who love me. I, you know, I could always think of something to give right. thanks for, something yes. to be grateful for, because I could always imagine a scenario that was worth. You know, I could have been, you know, set on fire. Mm-hmm. You know, so I right. could, it just maybe it sounds silly, no. but it is a way. It was a way for me to say to myself, I have something to be thankful for. Yes, because as bad as it is, I can imagine a scenario where it's worse. Right. You know, and I and I often think like you do in the middle of something, whether it's emotional or physical, that I think I think very much like that. Well, at least I will get a cup of coffee. I mean, literally, it's the little things. But then you also, I think, for me, jump to the scripture that talks about comforting others with the comfort with which you have received. And in the moment of your suffering, you're not thinking, "Yay, I'm so glad this is happening." Yeah. But you do understand that there is a purpose behind it, and somewhere down the road, but as you have been able to use so effectively all of these years that there is a point and it is also that we are able to comfort one another. So oddly enough, in our suffering, the Lord connects us through relationship appropriately when the time is right, because I want to get to something that you've you've talked about before that really 
happens more often than I think we'd care to realize. But that's something that also pops in my mind as I'm going through a period of suffering, is that eventually the Lord will allow this story to be used, that in God's economy, nothing is wasted. Yeah. And I think that's very hopeful. But I want that's to, Romans 8, 28. I, yeah. Yes. But I want to talk to you about something that is very important, and, and I've heard you mention it several times, and that is that people would come or somebody came to your hospital room, yeah. And they wanted to talk to you inappropriately, I would suggest to you, about why God allowed your suffering. Yeah. And so how not to comfort someone in their sorrow or their period of suffering. Yes. Um, I, when I was in ICU, and now I want you to picture this. So I have oxygen mask. Uh, my jaw is wired shut. My face looks like somebody's, you know, driven a lawnmower over it. Um, my orbital is on my left side is broken. My cheek is broken here. My nose is broken. Um, my uh, my right cheek is also broken. Uh, the back of my skull is broken. Um, my neck is broken. My back is broken. I cannot move, and I cannot speak. And I am on Neurotin oxycodone and morphine all at the same time, all at the same time, just to bring your pain level down just a little bit. And so I'm fading in and out. I'm not fully conscious. And a local pastor, if you're listening, um, I appreciate your sincerity, but please learn from what I am, I am going to tell you. He would come. How he got back into ICU, I don't know. I've always wondered that. How he got back there, I don't know. But he, and I'm not joking, he had a, um, a series that he had decided he was going to work through with me. I'd never not asked him to come. And, uh, and it was the 12 reasons why God would allow you to suffer. And of course, you're thinking 12? There are 12 reasons? <laughs> there are 12? And it felt, it felt like, and I'm, I'm not joking when I say this, it was a kind of torment mm. for me. Because he's sitting and droning on about an issue I'm not asking questions about. Of all the things I was suffering, a crisis of faith was not one of them. As I said earlier, um, at no point in this did I question, you know, people say to me, did you doubt God? Did you doubt it? No, no, I never did. That, that was never an issue for me. Um, my issue was trying to get through it. Uh, Lord, if you're, if you're going to take my life, take it. Uh, if... If not, give me the strength to get through this. Give me the faith to get through this. See, what a lot of people don't realize about pain, be it emotional pain or physical pain, is, and I want to caution some of you out there who are thinking, you know, you've really suffered and you haven't. Mm. And I, I, I don't mean, I don't mean to, uh, to be unkind to you, but you do need to have perspective. So someone would come to my hospital bed, or even now, because I, I have ongoing pain issues, serious pain issues, and someone trying to relate to me and comfort me, and I know they're well-intentioned. Well, tell me about that time they broke their rib. And I'm thinking, dude, th th we're not anywhere in this. We're, we're magnitudes apart. <laughs> Um, Romans 12, 15 says, um, you know, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That is a great model um, in that. I, I haven't suffered a miscarriage. You know, I don't, I can't say that I know how you feel because I don't. But what I can do is be a friend. I can be a comfort. Mm -hmm. I can be an encouragement to you. Um, 
because I've not been there. I remember being in a van some years ago with a man who, do you remember the whole Scott and Lacey Peterson trial yes. years ago? That's yes. More than a decade ago. Golly, has it been that long ago? No, 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 I'm wrong. It was somebody else. Carry on. Anyway, it was forever ago. Mm -hmm. It was uh, probably like 2004 or 5. And uh, because I know that a fixed point had been started at uh, at that point. But anyway, um, I'm riding in the van with this guy. He's a shuttle driver. I've just dropped off my car to get worked on, and he's taking me to an area restaurant. I'm sitting and looking at my phone, and we're chatting about it. was, I remember it was was Christmas Eve. Mm And we're talking about that sort of thing. And out of the clear blue, he starts talking about the Scott and Lacey Peterson trial. And then he says, you know, a man murdered my daughter. And, you know, Amy Beth, one of the first things that almost came out of my mouth, um, thank God um, I was restrained wow. from saying this. But you're, we're inclined in such moments to fill the dead air yes. with meaningless words. And I almost said, I am so sorry I know how you feel. No, Larry, you don't know how he feels. Mm-hmm. Thank God I don't know how he feels. And so I sat there in silence for a moment. I prayed, give me the words. And I said, God has granted me three, at the time we hadn't adopted Sasha, has given me three healthy, wonderful children, and I cannot even begin to imagine your pain and your suffering. Um, And uh, we chatted a little bit, and then when we got to where we were going, I just reiterated those words, and I said, I don't understand your pain. I, It's beyond anything I can even begin to imagine. I said, but, you know, our God does know. Um, he gave his son. He uh, he he knows what you feel, and he's a God of grace and mercy, and uh, his grace is sufficient. And that man began to sob. I mean, mm-hmm. he began to say he was a World War II veteran because he was he was because I remember vividly because he said on this day in 1944. I was in the Battle of Bulge, and I killed Germans who had never done any harm to me. And I know I could kill that man who killed my daughter. Wow. He said, if he were in front of this van right now, I would drive straight over him. And a part of me was like, and I would be saying yes, and then put it in reverse, and let's hit him again. Yeah. You know, because I was full of rage as he was describing what this man did to his daughter and then buried her down by the Cahaba River. So. I mean, this is extraordinary grief and pain that will never be fixed in this life. But the Christian faith offers something that if you're an atheist, you don't get. You know, we were talking about Romans 8, 28 earlier. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. I have heard unbelievers cite that verse many times. Well, you know, all things work together for good. And I go, not for you. (laughs) You you don't get that promise. That's not for you. And by that, it doesn't mean that all things that happen to you in this life are good. What it means is that God in his mercy can can make a silk purse from a sow's ear. And that even even in um, our darkest moments, I I call them the pearls of my life, the pearls of our lives. They're very precious things that... You have to learn not to share with everybody because some people will spit on them. They'll trample them underfoot. They're not worthy of having 
that because they're very dear to you. It's a part of your life. It's like opening your home. When you open your home to someone, you're you're making yourself vulnerable, right? I mean, because you allow them in, and when you when you allow uh, when you reveal the pearls of your life, you're opening your heart and you're allowing people in and you have to be very careful with things like that because there are people who will who will not treat them with the respect right. they deserve. That's right. You know, you've shared something, you know, in this show that's very vulnerable and it's still very painful and raw for you. I feel honored that you would that you would share it. Um our audience is privileged um to to hear it. It's very, very real. And for this man to share his pain and his grief with me, um, I have to be very thoughtful in how I respond to that yes. so that I'm not responding to it in a way that minimizes it, that cheapens it, that uh, um, you know, uh, trivializes it to make it something that it isn't. So coming back to your original question, here's this guy who's coming into me to explain to me the 12 reasons why God would allow me to suffer. And I remember the last time that he he left, I said to Lori, please, please, please do not let that man come in this room again. Keep him out. He's he's killing me. And I, it, maybe it sounds funny. I don't know if you're able to relate to what I'm talking about, but the level of suffering that I was enduring physically was compounded by someone who's standing at my bedside and telling me, offering me intellectual reasons why I'm experiencing this. And I wanted to drop F-bombs. If I mean, again, my mouth is wired shut. But I'm, I'm wanting to say, you haven't a clue what you're talking right. about. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I compare that to, and I will name him, another area pastor, Richard Trucks, who came in daily, and you know, took some part of my body that that wasn't broken and just give me a gentle squeeze, and he would pray, and he would leave. Yeah, good, Richard. Good Richard came in just to be a comfort. He never tried to offer me explanations for things I wasn't asking. He just tried to be an encouragement to me and to my family, and then he would withdraw. Now that was wisdom on his part, and I was grateful mm-hmm. for that. But the issue that you're really raising here is how do we how do we comfort sufferers? Um, what did what have you found to be comforting when when you're suffering? Knowing that someone is praying, I agree 100. percent It is not filling the space with words. I am learning and was not good at this until we really suffered. Um, I'm also, and even with the kids, I think it starts even when kids are young, teaching them that when they get in the car and share something with you to be quiet and let them share. I mean, even from the ground level up, teaching people to be quiet. I appreciate you and what you've shared with me. I hear you. And and like you have said, I cannot imagine, but I thank you for sharing that with me and I will pray for you. It's simple. I am, the older I get, the more simple I'm keeping it because those are the things that I appreciated most similar to you, though, obviously not the same circumstance. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But let me, let me chime in on that right there. 
okay, maybe the circumstances aren't the same. I, I, I don't know. I mean, a physical comfort, uh, physical pain, emotional pain. But I always say, say to people, pain isn't a contest. And yeah, it's certainly not right. one you want to win. No, And so don't. when somebody, uh, sometimes people will apologize to me as they begin to tell me about something they're suffering. Now, it's nothing on the scale of what you're suffering, to which I want to reply, it's not the point. You know, you've, you've just suffered a broken leg. It's real. It hurts. No, you didn't break your back and you didn't, but that's not the point. The fact is, did it hurt? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know what else? I think you're, you're talking about that pastor that your wife then gave the block to is there's an unspeakable cruelty when that happens. And I think that is something very important that I've learned the older that I've, I've gotten is to be very careful with the safe people in your lives mm-hmm. and with the unsafe people. I think that is a very important point that you've brought up because the Lord will give you wisdom. Everybody doesn't get to know everything. So be very careful with, with whom you share. I think that's something else that I've learned and that has helped um, because you instantly know who are the safe people. That's a profound... Um box you just opened. I would say that that's taken me 50, maybe 51 years to learn that. Um, because I would say I've probably been more open than I should have been, um, with some people who prove to not be people who could be trusted at all. Um, but I think you're, I think you're 100%, um, right about that. And I think that can compound suffering, Mm. uh, when you're not, you know, when you're when you're not as guarded as you should be and you naively share something that, you know, perhaps you shouldn't or some element of pain. I mean, because pain can be weaponized, you know, can't oh. it? Especially especially emotional pain. You share something from your past um, that you've suffered, and that person puts it like an arrow oh. in a quiver that they will pull out on you at some point and say, Oh, but there was you know, that abortion, there was that, you know, that thing that you did. And, um, and yeah, I've seen that happen more than once in a word you just used that I've been giving a lot of thought to lately. I'm not quite ready to unveil my thinking on this, but it is the word cruelty, which I think is one of the, the, it's, it's a greater sin than just about any sin is cruelty and the subtle ways that human beings are cruel and that Christians, uh, people who call themselves Christians, are cruel in their unforgiveness, in their self-righteousness. It's astonishing how many quote-unquote good people or people who are seen as good people are just as wicked as they can be because they are fundamentally cruel people. I maybe said too much there, but you, you, did you understand not. what I'm talking I do. about. I think you know where I'm going. I know with exactly that. where you're going with that. And in fact, what we're going to do is take a break and let's come back and let's talk about that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Larry Alex Taunton Show, also known as the Shit Show. Welcome back. So let's talk about how do you minister to people who are suffering and truly suffering. Well, um, you know, Amy Beth, I think that women are better at this than men. And I think it's because we're wired to fix things. You know, I think of the, uh, I think her name was Pam Stone, a uh, comedian some years ago who um, said, you know, men 
are like bicycle helmets. They just generally, they look silly, but they're handy in an emergency. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you think about this, um, it's true with your, your children. And uh, from it's, it's, they just know when Junior is little and he skins his knee, he runs rice past dad to go to mom because moms are, are in, and we're speaking in generalities mm-hmm. here. Obviously, there are exceptions to this, but generally speaking, women are are nurturers. They're they're better at comforting, and men are are wired to fix things. And I I think about C.S. Lewis's. Um, I believe it's in Surprised by Joy. He talks about the death of his mother and how it was it was kind of the death of his family, and he said because. His relationship with his father, he said his father was very formal <laughs> and didn't understand children. And he said, so our my relationship, he and his, his brother, uh, our relationship with, with uh, our father was through our mother. She was the one who translated him to us and made him understandable to us. And he said, and when my mother died, I ceased to have a relationship with my father, though he tried. But... Each of us was incapable of really connecting with the other. And he would say his father would walk with him through a garden with his hands behind his back and speak to him about his day. And he said he's trying, but the 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 soft presence of his mother having been ripped from their lives rendered that that um, relationship you know, broken um, forever. So I, I think that's that's a good picture of where women, generally speaking, and I say this as a man. Um, you know, in the hospital, there are there are male nurses, and there were occasions where I was glad to have male nurses. Nurses, by the way, in a is a profession grossly underrated. You know, the physicians will come in and they will diagnose something, but it was the, the caregivers or the nurses. Yes. And there were those few nurses who I knew my survival mattered to them. Mm-hmm. I knew that they would come in and immediately check on me. When I was in ICU, I remember being moved to the step-down unit and a nurse coming in breathlessly. And she said, there you are. And I, I was wow. saying, you know, what do you mean? She said, well, I came in this morning and your room was empty. And I thought, oh my gosh, he died during the night. And they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, the nurses said, no, he's just, he's just been moved down to another, you know, she said, but I panicked. And it, it meant something to me because I knew that my survival mattered. Now, there are some nurses that that's not true of, some physicians that that's not true of, um, but it, it, it did matter. And you know, speaking of male nurses and female nurses, there are times when they had to move me. And I, I, I used to be a guy to make fun of, you know, male nurses. <laughs> That's <laughs> just, such a surprise. I'll just be honest. <laughs> I just think, you know, if one of my ch- children, one of my boys said, I want to be a nurse, I'd say, please don't. <laughs> but it'd be like saying, I want to be a figure skater. <laughs> but please stick with me for just a second. The nurses would have to move me each day to change my sheets. And so four nurses, female nurses, would come in to get a corner of the sheets. And I would say, ladies, you are not strong enough. Go and get Nick. Go and get Phil. Those are, go get men. And those guys could lift me up. Those poor ladies would drag me. And and it was was excruciating. Mm trying to move me from one bed to another, whereas the men could come and, you know, could actually get lift me up. 
but I didn't want Nick and Phil as my caregivers. And it's because there was a gentleness and a, I don't know how to put it, a softness that women bring to that, that was, that was tender and it, and it meant more. And I, I want to I want to give what I think is just a wonderful example of this. Um, a woman who, to me, I just think of as an angel. But we've mentioned the guy who you know twelve reasons you know why God is allowing you to suffer. Again, that's a man, and that's cluelessness. He's there to fix it. Right. He's there thinking that he's if, not feeling. That's right. If he can give me the intellectual explanation, I'll go, okay, well, I'm better now. Get out of the bed now. I'm healed. Wow. Just not thinking. Yeah. But when I got out of the hospital, um, I looked like a troll. You know, I just, you know, my head's a mess. And I was at home still for a lot longer before I could go out. But eventually I'm up and moving and I can ride in the car and this sort of thing. And Lori takes me to get a haircut. Now, I'm emaciated. I've lost more than 40 pounds. I weigh less oh than my. I did in high school uh, when I graduated from high school. So, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fairly big guy, and I, a healthy weight for me is probably 220. I was at about 175. So I look like I've just left a concentration camp. And then my face is mauled, and my face is, my mouth is still wired shut. And um, so I and I'm using a, a walker um, or a cane uh, that's almost like a walker, one of those four-footed deals. And um, I'm going to get my haircut and uh, to a place I don't know anybody there. You know, I want my haircut. Just find somebody who will do it. And so Lori opens the door and I'm kind of staggering in. And this girl, I will never forget her. She's directly in front of me, and she's seated in a chair, and she's just waiting for customers to come in. And she is wearing a green dress, um, black combat boots. She's shaved one side of her head. Her hair is combed over and purple. I've never seen her in her life. She's never seen me. She doesn't know me. And she gets up stands up looking full of grief. And she says with such compassion, what has happened to you? And so I come in, she takes me back to cut my hair. And um, as I'm, you know, I'm having to sit down very gently and I'm laying back. She's holding the back of my head to lay me back to wash my hair. Amy Beth, here she is over me. She is shampooing my hair, which had been full of blood. You know, it took a long time to get my head clean because I had a a broken skull. And so it all had to be done kind of by hand. But at this point, I can have my, I can have a, a shampoo. And this girl... I would say girl, she's maybe 19 or 20. You know, she's she's quite young. She has tears in her eyes as she is shampooing my hair and her fingers on my skull felt like magic. Oh. And it felt so good and and I think her sensing that I I I it, it provided relief. She gave me about a 20 minute shampoo. 
And the point that I'm, I'm trying to make here is, because this may sound silly to people who don't understand this, I am in excruciating pain. She wordlessly does what she can do. She was kind. She was gentle. She was compassionate. And she was moved to try to do something kind. In the most unexpected package of all. Right. Purple hair clashing with her green dress, clashing with her combat boots. But she was an angel sent from God and she had more sense than a pastor who was there to lay out for me day after day after day in lecture format why God is allowing me to suffer. As I said, women sometimes get these things better than men do, but, but also what you need to understand when you're going to minister to sufferers, and you've kind of touched on this in your own life, is that Explanation is not usually what they're looking for. The time may come where people ask that question, where they where they are looking for those answers, but not in the midst of the their valley of the shadow of death. Your presence is what means something yes. to them. Don't come and tell them how you stubbed your toe or your dog died or you you know you had gallbladder surgery. Don't do that. I had a friend Ben Weicker, who was a dear friend of mine. He's an author. Um, Ben showed up on my doorstep, came down from Ohio. Now, Ben is an exception, by the way, to, to most men. Ben comes down and he says, I'm just here to be with you. And Ben just sat in the room and watched football with me, hmm. chatted with me, never tried to, to explain to me. He was just, I'm your friend. I'm here. Can I get you a bottle of water? Would you like a piece of cake? You know, um, we just sat and we talked about mundane things, all of which took my mind off of off of that. So, you know, I mean, what what have you found helpful? I I think very similar things. Um, that concept of I'm just thinking as as you're talking about the young woman who washed your hair, just offering that cup of cold water. Um, the perfect analogy. Doing what you can in the moment, but understanding that it's the silence that will speak volumes and it's the presence that fills the space, but the silence really fills the room. And it isn't that you want somebody to tell you anything, because I think we do. We are built for relationship. We want to relate to one another. But to have enough wisdom and pray as you're going to minister to people, Lord, help me to keep my mouth shut. Yes, like, you know, as a person who's had three miscarriages, I don't want to be told that I'm going to have more children and that I should just get over it. Um, I want to be told, I'm sorry. Do you want to get coffee? Yeah. You know, it's the simple things because by our presence and by that relationship that's built in the silence and in the battle— then you earn the right down the road to be the one that you turn to and say, why do you think that happened? Yeah. And so I think it's all um, suffering to me is an opportunity to build a relationship, but also to let the Holy Spirit move. And generally, (laughs) it's going to be the Holy Spirit going, shut up, just be quiet, and just go be there. Um, That's what has meant the most to us. And then, like I said a moment ago, um, just not, just don't try to fill the space. 
What are Did, your go-tos? What are your go-tos when you're you feel you are, you know, you when you are suffering, when you were suffering, mm-hmm. what what were things that you did that you found helped? There'd be people listening who would say, What what can you give me now that I what are tools? Yes. Um, what would you put in their toolbox? Number one in the toolbox is when you feel like you have to cry, just let it out. It doesn't matter where it is. I used to be very reserved in that regard, but then suffering takes you to a place where you can't hold the tears in. Yeah. And the emotions will just drip down your face. And so for females, it's probably more um, <laughs> something that happens more readily than for men. But uh, for me, letting you know, having some friends in my life to say, just let it go. If you if yeah. you're in the middle of Target and you start crying because you see a pregnant woman and you think, I don't know if I'll ever have children, it's okay. Yeah. Like let it out, don't hold it in. Yeah. Um, you know, for those times postpartum depression that made me suicidal. Um and my mother-in-law giving me the permission that if you want to come home and you want to come stay with your mom and dad, you want to come stay with me because you need to be with somebody, you can get in the car and come home. Did you ever feel under spiritual attack? Yes, I felt under spiritual attack. What did that we look like? We lived in Florida. It was very dark. Um, you mentioned this off air, but it f- was darkest at night. Um, it is never good to be alone when you are in that place. Uh, you need people. Mm-hmm. You need people you can talk to, but you need safe people mm-hmm. that you can talk to. Um, and I had a precious pastor's wife in Florida, and um, wow, I loved that lady so much and her husband. And she really ministered to me, full of wisdom, full of grace, full of mercy. Let me pour my heart out, ask very critical questions, not a lot of questions, but just would sit with me and listen to me and then pour into me as the Lord led her. And so I think it's important then in that toolbox to have mentors, to have women and or men, depending if you're a woman or a man, um, that can speak to your life, that you're it's a trusted advisor in the, in the abundance of counsel, there's wisdom, but that doesn't mean 77 people. That may mean two or three people um, that you're listening to that you can go to, but you've also built a relationship with. So for women, I would suggest finding one or two women that are older than you, that have been where you've been, that can speak to you, but also can equally, uh, my pastor's wife would come to my house and just sit with me and let the little children run around. And I I treasure that to this day. It's been years, but I treasure that. Um, So those are some things that, you know, for me, how about you? Yeah, I uh, I think those are all great. I have, you know, you'll you'll laugh at at some of mine. Um, <clears throat> obviously, uh, I agree with you. Not being alone, I think that your thoughts begin to turn in on themselves. And before we came down here, um, Lori was talking about you know the darkest night of all. And it'll sound weird. It'll sound very strange. But again, I had suffered a traumatic brain injury, um, which you know perhaps altered my my personality just a little bit. Lori says that I'm sweeter <laughs> now. Um, so if you don't think I'm sweet, just know that I was less sweet <laughs> at, uh, at some point. <clears throat> but I cannot endure suffering. Uh, that is the suffering of others. It, it upsets me. And this will sound very strange, but if I'm watching a movie that's that where the pain is realistic, like not a Bond movie, right. but if I see something that's comparable to the pain that I've suffered, subconsciously I process it, and the physical pain I felt shoots through my body like in a nanosecond. Wow. 
So I see somebody, let's say, falling off of a bridge and, you know, in a movie and, you know, you know, I was watching a film recently where somebody's supposed to, you know, committing suicide and hits the pavement. And I felt mm. the like I could feel the crushing of my bones uh, just for a nanosecond. But it's it's like there's a deep memory of pain there that manifests itself in real, real pain. And so we were watching, it was new at the time, it's a movie called, and I've forgotten the name of it, but these, all these little emotions in a oh, girl's head. Oh, yes. <clears throat> oh, man. We just listened to the theme song this week in the car, but yes, I know what Inside Out. About. Inside Out. Inside yes. Out. Yes. These Great emotions movie. in a girl's head. And uh, this is supposed to be cute, you know, funny, you know, Pixar film or something. And I found it deeply upsetting. And I know that sounds nuts, <laughs> but it, it there, you're seeing a scene where in her mind, you know, because of the mm. trauma that's taking place in her life, her parents are getting a divorce and her memories are crumbling like sandcastles. And they're showing it, you know. And I, I'm saying to Lori and to Sasha, Sasha was at home. She was not married yet. And uh, I was like, I can't watch this movie. This is awful. This is traumatizing to me. And, um, and so I staggered up from the chair, you know, got Lori to help me get up. And I said, I have to leave the room. And I left the room and she was like, you know, this movie is a very good movie. You know, I, it's, I think you're overreacting. I'm whatever. This is awful. I, I, can't, I can't watch this movie. So I leave the room and they resume watching it. But Lori begins thinking something's going on with Larry. Some, something's going on. So she comes to me and I'm sitting on the edge of the bed and I can't put my head up. I'm just looking down. And it'll be hard for me to to relate this story. So we may have to go to break. But anyway, she um, comes and she gets down on her knees in, in, in front of me to look up into my face because I, I can't look at her. And she says, what's, <clears throat> what's going on? And I said, I am in so much pain. I cannot even begin to describe. And I've taken my pain meds and it's knocked my pain level down. 30%. You know what I mean? I am still just in excruciating pain. And Lori, I feel like Satan himself just came and sat down on the bed next to me and put his arm around mm. me tenderly mm. and said, I would never let one of my children suffer like this. Mm. And I thought, whoa. I know that's of the devil because I'm not clever enough to even think of something yeah. like that. It was, I am a better father. I am a better, I am, I am worthy of your worship mm. because look at what he's done to you mm. and that he doesn't care you're suffering like this. I'd never do that. And it was a dark, dark night and all the way through the night, I'm just thinking, I can't wait for the daylight. And I have to tell you that prior to my accident and a couple of other events in my life, the Psalms were a book that were out there that I didn't really access. And I lived in the Psalms. Suddenly, David's emotion, his anger at times, um, his crying out, um, it all resonated with me. Psalm 30, I, I, we won't take the time to look at it, but you can go and look at that. 
man, as I, where I was positioned at UAB Hospital in the ICU unit, the helicopters are landing just over me. Wow. So throughout the night, I'm watching helicopters bringing in dying people. <sighs> and I try to say a prayer every time that, that here comes another helicopter. It's three in the morning, and it's landing just above my head. Oh my goodness. And I'm sitting there with my phone in my my non-broken hand, um, reading that psalm over and over again, where he says, you know, yeah, I was in the pit and you pulled me from the pit and you've set my feet upon the rock. And I, I, I was living, so I found those things to be things that really offered me comfort. And just at a very practical level, I love the Looney Tunes. They're great. <laughs> They're great. They're a, it's, a, it's a guy thing, but the Looney Tunes... I, I feel great nostalgia for them. And in the middle of the night, when I feel you know very alone in the world, I, I want to hear voices. I want to hear happy things. And there's nothing like a little Bugs Bunny and a Foghorn Leghorn. It's true. You're very right. <laughs> it's very true. So you know you find you find what works for you. And for yeah. you, it was the children you were playing there and somebody having a cup of coffee or tea with you. You just find something that that works. It's not the same um, for for everybody. So this has been um, a cathartic episode, really, uh, to talk about suffering. What are some, some last thoughts that you have for our wonderful audience who may be right now living in the valley of the shadow of death? Um, I will end with a reference to a Bond movie. You know what? Which I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I will end with a reference to a Bond movie, and it is uh, Skyfall, which I think is genius, um, that film. But stick with me okay. where I'm going with this. That film came out roughly, you know, you know, about the time of my accident or a little before because I could see it on TV. And one night when it's about three in the morning and I can't sleep and uh, I'm still not in a bed, I'm, I'm in a recliner because I can't lay down. I'm channel surfing and I start watching this Bond movie. But now, I've already seen it, but now I'm processing it totally differently. Hmm. And the film is this. You have, you have 007 and then you have the evil villain who, of course, wants to conquer the whole world who is uh, played by Jeremy Bardem, and his name is, um, you know, Silva or De Silva or something like that. And both of them refer to M, you know, played mm -hmm. by Judy Dench's mother. Yes. She's mother. She was, they were both agents in MI6 for M, but one of them has become a villain and has turned against her. And do you remember why he's turned against her? I can't remember. Because of his pain and suffering. Oh, he was captured. Right. He was captured yes. by the enemy, and he felt that she didn't do enough to get him out. And the enemy had tortured him. And you have that scene where he pulls his jaw out, you know, and it's, yes. it's he looks hideous. But he's a man who has suffered horribly at the hands of uh, I want to say Chinese, you know, um, who had captured him. And so he blamed him, not the Chinese. He blamed him because he felt she didn't love him. It didn't work to get him out. And then you have this powerful scene where Bond is captured by Silva. And he's tied up in a chair. And um, Jeremy Bartum plays it so well, but he goes to him and he, while, while Bond is tied up and he says, ooh, look at that, a bullet hole. Oh, and what do we have over here? It's like the wound of a knife. 
and oh, what about this? And then you're still not fully recovered. Did she tell you that you didn't actually pass your physical exam? Yes, I have it right here. See, I can hack into the system. They put you back out onto the field, but they didn't tell you they didn't actually, you actually were, you know, three for 10 on your, your, um, you know, shooting, um, you know, test and this kind of thing. And he, he begins to give an inventory of Bond's suffering. And he says, you've suffered just as I have. And we've both suffered at the hands of mother. M, she made us both suffer. She doesn't love you. She doesn't love me. This is all about her. And what's interesting is that Bond never offers any intellectual answers to any of this. What comes through is he ultimately says, basically, I love her and I trust her. And I don't fully understand why she allowed these things to happen to me. But I love her and I trust her. And I assume that there's some reason in it. And to me, I thought, as I'm sitting there at night and I'm watching this for the first time, you know, really, I'm going, wow, this is a powerful metaphor for God. Right. Whether they intended it to be that or not, I'm just telling you that it is. Right. And, and and so as, as kind of a final word to people, when it comes down to this, there are there are people who accept that there is mystery in suffering. If you're looking for all the intellectual reasons, I'm sorry, you're not going to get them. Isaiah 55 indicates his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts above my thoughts. I'm cool with that. I, I put down the hood on that engine and I go, you know, I don't understand totally what's going on in there, but I know the character of my God. And because I know his character, and I trust in him, I accept that. There are other people who say, unless I am given total explanation for this, I hate you. Mm. I hate you, and I'm going to make it my mission in life to destroy you. And um, you know, there are these kinds of people that this is just how they respond. Interestingly enough, in my experience, they're almost never real sufferers. Some of the most profound, sure. some of the some of the people have, who have suffered the most have what I call depth of soul. Yes, they really do, and um, they usually are not bitter people. But I thought it was interesting. I was debating Michael Shermer a second time, or maybe it was the first time, I guess. Um, and Sasha was in the audience. Now, my daughter Sasha has suffered more than any human being I know, and she l- listen. Sasha is Sasha is not prepared to offer the sophisticated, you know, theological, philosophical explanations. But it was interesting because she was on the front row for our debate, and Michael Shermer said that he did not believe in God because of the problem of suffering. Mm. And I asked him, well, have you really suffered? And he, the answer was no, but he made some reference to some girl he knew who had suffered. And when that debate was over, Sasha, Sasha went into him like a freight train. She came up from the front row and was saying, I believe in God because of my suffering. And Shermer had nowhere to go. He looked like a cornered animal. Yeah. But Sasha just pounded away at him and saying, well, why, why don't you believe that? Well, what's your explanation? What's your alternative? Meaninglessness. 
meaninglessness. And I thought that what Sasha was basically saying was what Peter said after you know the feeding of the 5,000 and uh, Jesus preaches a very hard sermon and the, the 5,000 leave, and Jesus turns to the disciples and said, you guys going to go too? And Peter gets up and he says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Me, and Peter is in that moment. He's admitting, I, "Listen, I didn't quite get your your message about eating your flesh and, and drinking your blood, and that all just kind of went over my head. I didn't fully process that. But at the end of the day, I go, you know what? But I trust you, and I trust your character. And what are my alternatives to this? So in your in your suffering, accept that there is mystery, and trust." in the character of God, because the alternative is bitterness, it's anger, and it's the destruction of your soul. Mm. Wow. Thank you for that. Yeah, well, we it's ended powerful. on a heavy note. <laughs> I mean, that that's heavy, but you know what? People who are driving and watching and listening are saying an amen. So thank you for that. And thank you for being here for this episode of the Larry Alex Taunton Show. We will see you next time. Turn out the lights. The party's over. (laughs) They say that all. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now?